Gotta relax. Today, a young man on acid realized that all matter is merely energy condensed to a slow vibration. That we are all one consciousness experiencing itself subjectively. I like it. Welcome back to another edition of the Human Music Show. That is at Human Music Pod on Instagram. And you can check out our website, uh, humanmusicpod.com. Sharp, sharp this week. Um, <laughs> yeah, no no one's seeing this part, so you didn't have to point at the, at the board. I, I suppose not, but for, for, for me it helped. Um, yeah. So, yeah, for our dozens and dozens of fans, welcome back this week. Uh, you're... Uh, I'm Harry, and I'm running on maybe three hours of sleep in the past 48 hours, so this is going to be a this is a fun one, especially with a trippy album like I picked. Squeegee your third eye. <laughs> um, and with me, as always, is my friend and co-host, Houston freelance writer, Carlos. How you doing, buddy? Oh, boy. I've had a day. I've had a day. 2021 is is looking sharp so far. It's really holding my beer with 2020 so far. <laughs> No, I'm okay. I uh, it was nice to have this podcast as a distraction from life's daily bullshit. Um, I had a conversation with my wife earlier today where she she was like, "Are you coming home?" I'm I'm in San Antonio right now. For those of you who don't know that much about my personal life, I travel here for work. And she was like, "Are you coming home today?" I was like, "No, I'm recording because that's the only thing right now that I can do to stop me from screaming at the sky." <laughs> So, doing great. Sorry for ruining the vibe. Let's get into some cool music. I've got I've got some takes. Hot I'm and sure. cold. I'm sure. The thing I'm going to be most curious about, so like for this, this week, in between our uh, special series we're doing on Kendrick Lamar, we're going to be going back to the the 1.0 is what we call it. The, when we both had, or where, where Carlos had this idea, and the first batch of terrible audio we ever recorded. And... Yeah. So for since it's my turn to do my 1.0s, the first one I picked was Tool, uh, Anima, Anima, Anima. I don't fucking care. And we're going to talk about how I don't fucking care how you pronounce it. Um, <laughs> I just say Anima. I, I've always, it's more I, fun. I, I called it Anima my entire life. And um, mostly I because I just read you it. not to. Yeah. Well, no. Yeah. You'll, we'll, we're, we will talk about Tool fans making this. This is not going to be a popular episode. <laughs> <laughs> the, people, the, people, the people most likely to check this out are going to get a little bit of a, hey, could you could you lighten the fuck up? Um, <laughs> but yeah, so we're, we're going to be doing Tools. It's their second album. Uh, I guess you want to, whenever you want to start the stream or do you want to start with okay. the preface? No, let's start the stream. Okay. I feel like, you know, we should start our stories where they begin. This is going to be great. Is any of this getting through to you? 1.0 is the original version of this podcast. So that's going to be the first batch of episodes we recorded that were, 
let's be honest, they were horrible in audio quality. They were we, such trash. We were coming off of our goofy ass <laughs> un- improv comedy podcast to do a serious music one, yeah. and it sounded like we were in a basement half the time. Um, yeah, so we the- were speaking into to to get tell you guys how we did the 1.0 recordings. This was pre-COVID. So Harry and I would get together at one of our houses and we didn't have any recording equipment except a handheld recorder which is typically used for like field interviews. Like you point it at the subject, you point it at yourself. And we were both speaking into it. It was it, it by COVID standards it was the worst kind of non-social distancing because we were like both this close to it trying to record these episodes. And naturally, it came out sounding like absolute trash. So we also didn't like the concept. You know, we would listen to the episodes together in a room, one listen, try to do as much research while we were listening as possible. Yeah. And then record an episode. So the takes were unrefined. Uh, Everything was kind of scratchy. I don't know what I did. Did you take the did I give you the recorder back? Yeah, I have it at okay. home now. All right, I was about to say, I hope I lose it because it, it was Luke's, right? Like it wasn't even. Well, I ended up buying it from him. Ah, yeah, um, I gave him, him a hundred bucks for it. Yeah, to answer your question, Tommy, as close as to recording with a potato as we possibly could, um, no gain control or anything. Um, but yeah, no, we those episodes will never those recordings will never see the light of day unless someone is willing to give us hard-earned cash for it. Yeah. Uh, that will not be something that is ever just put out there like, hey, here you go, listen to us. Just, I think, uh, just to like briefly talk about the difference between what we were doing and what we're doing now, I think that what we're doing now is just better concept-wise because we absorb the album more. Um, yeah. Whereas that, where we just like those gut reactions to listening to something the first time, a lot of it was just going, yeah, it was cool. Like, I like <laughs> yeah, it. It sounds good. I like it. Uh, there was absolutely no, especially with an album like this, where say what you will about the music, say what you will about the personalities of the band. There was a lot to dig into. There's mm-hmm. a lot to research. Um, Maynard is a really interesting character. He... He has some takes that have not aged well. He has some <laughs> like some social commentary that at the time was really cutting edge that is now seen as a little bit redundant and trite and of a different age. But the instrumentals, the productions, the the risks that were taken, the interludes. I mean, the interludes alone have some of the most experimental and cool things people have done with sounds and with the metal genre. Yeah, but I, I it's it's funny you mention that because I think for me a lot of the interludes are like one time, uh, and like we always do when this is us sharing an album. I've had this for longer than you have, sure, so yeah. for me I skip shit like Ions or um the one yeah, that's yeah. like well the one that's to make you think that you need to flip the record before you need to flip the record, which is like there's there's Use, so many useless idiot or something. Yeah, there's so many moments on here that are funny, and it's like right. you, like if you're in on the joke, it's funny, but it, I I think a lot of it has aged. <laughs> poorly like or any, yeah. even just the sonics of it like ions is horrible to have headphones on for like if you forget that it's coming and you're not right. ready to skip like say you're doing something working out and ions comes off almost gotta take a knee because it'll burrow into your ears <laughs> yeah so i don't think we've actually said the album yet on the live streams this week's album is tools 1996 sophomore album Enema or anima or however you want to pronounce it. It's got different pronunciations. Uh, anima. Uh, yeah. anima. Um, 
Yeah, so it, it's Harry's Harry's choice of album, and it is the in between of Kendrick Lamar Part One and Part Two. Kendrick is going to be the four part series, but if you haven't heard yet, we're doing it every two weeks, and in between, Harrison's picking his 1.0 episodes. Uh, just repeating this for the live viewers if you're tuning in at this point. So, um, yeah, do you want to give like the the preface, the background to this one before we get into some high level takes? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess that's what we'll be doing on the live stream anyway. Um, so Tool, I think for me, was a band that I did not like when I first heard about them in like junior high and high school, mostly because of the people who liked Tool were kind of tools, yeah. like for lack of a better term. Tools. It, they were just like, you know, like it was these Maynard fanboys were so like, Oh my God, you gotta listen to it. You gotta like get like three things and play it on different <laughs> players and listen. It's like, it's too fucking much. Um, yeah, and for yeah. music, like, cause I'm a big grunge guy, but for music to me, that wasn't that prog Rocky pink Floydish kind of stuff. It was like, I mean, what do you guys like? What's it's cool. Like I loved undertow their first album because it was a very yeah. grungy nineties kind of sound. And then it wasn't until the Bill Hicks connection in high school that I kind of found yeah. Enema and was like, okay, this is cool. And that led, like, that kind of kicked the door open into the later, more experimental tool stuff. Um, but yeah, for me, it was all, you know, finding Bill Hicks and being like, this guy gets it. And then finding out that Enema was dedicated to Bill Hicks. Then the the sample on Third Eye, using all of his best drug bits. In, yeah. in a song about prying open your third eye. I was like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with it now. Um, but yeah, I think uh, one thing that it's impossible for me to talk about Tool and ignore is the the gatekeeping with Tool fans. And it's not even gatekeeping. It's like there is no way you can find a video or review or anything about Enema without mm. a five-minute diatribe about how it's actually supposed to be pronounced. It's like, who fucking cares? <laughs> Yeah, even in the 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 genius annotations about the meaning of specific songs on this album, there are some pretty intense disagreements. Um, my favorite song, which I won't give away yet, but my favorite song is it became my favorite because of the commentary by the fans of what it means versus what it doesn't mean. Um, I have my opinions about it, but it's just that element of it can be fun from a music nerd. Let me get on the forums and argue with people point of mm. view. Um, but only on specific songs because the, the ones where it's fun and lighthearted and sort of the third eye woke stuff. But then when it gets into the social commentary, that's where I, I definitely see that tool fans being absolute tools when it gets into, you know, like the title track on this song is my least favorite song for reasons we'll get into. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get into it later. But that to me is what I have always associated with Tool. That general outlook and then that outlook being reciprocated by the fans and to a large, to, to a more specific point, uh, magnified by the fans. I think this is one of those bands where they're making a point. It's kind of like Rick and Morty. You know, they're making a point. It's social yeah. commentary. It's in a lot of ways satire. And then the fans take it so severely extreme to the extreme. You know, this is I joked in my notes that this is the favorite band of school shooters. <laughs> but it, it it's kind of true that it's like they say it in a way where it's kind of tongue in cheek, kind of poking fun. 
Because you can tell with songs like Hooker with a Penis that they are self-aware of their own sort of narcissistic hypocrisy that yeah. got them to where they are. But I don't, th- I don't think that self-awareness exists with their fan base. Well, what's that like to have to do on your sophomore album, a song where you drag your own fans for being insufferable? Yeah. Like your yeah. second album, like they did, yeah. they did their We're Not Sellouts track on their second album. That's insane that in 96, there were people who've been yeah. listening to Tool for like, what, at that point, three or four years, be like, these guys are selling out, <laughs> doing, doing Lollapalooza. Yeah, I like the uh, the guy the, as they describe that particular fan in Hooker with a Penis, and he's like, uh, "I've been a fan since the first since OG since the first EP. What was that like three years ago? <laughs> like, well, it's not like it a over. great yeah." Oh, 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 and that's another thing too. Like, flip it over. Like, what you know, I always talk about Ghost, and we're gonna do another Ghost album when we do these 1.0s. I've never had mm-hmm. a fan base like Ghost. That's like, it's really cool. I get if you don't like it kind of deal. Yeah, 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 um, for sure. And it's like, like it's one of those things where if once you get into Ghost, people are like, oh, you got to listen to this. But it's not like a, oh, you haven't heard Opiate? Well, mm, you and your, <laughs> you and your Anima. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think like, that if, if you approach Tool with a certain self-awareness and with a certain levity, then you can be, you can enjoy it for what it is musically without getting caught up in the cultural yeah toxicity well that's how that's yeah that's how i enjoy tool um tool to me will always be just a cool like they're and and this is something that tool fans will completely balk at and you know roll their eyes but it's it's prog grunge it is that taking that grungy 90s sound and sprinkling enough prog on it i hate when people call it prog metal what about tool is metal i wanted to ask you i i have that on my notes like the third bullet point is this metal? Do you consider this metal? No, I don't. Um, they won Grammys for best metal performance. They are often listed in the best metal album yeah, lists of all but time. That's so but so this... is Jethro Tull. Like I mean, it's... <laughs> yeah, this doesn't come off as metal to me at all. It's it's. I know this re- was released in the '90s, but I've always associated Tool with that early 2000s alternative movement, that MTV VJs type of heavy metal, not heavy metal, heavy rock. Yeah. where we were it's post metal i mean there was never well, really a po what i used to call like back in my you know hardcore genre file days when it was every like the itunes had to be meticulously organized uh stuff like tool was called hard alternative because that's yeah. really what it yeah. is it's the it is the alternative like alternative is to pop rock what this stuff is to hard rock um and because it, it's like it well then it's also like you can do that with anything like there's always the Al, is Alice in Chains metal or are they grungy yeah it's like well they're both but that but that's like Alice in Chains is more like a sludgy grunge metal whereas Tool to me there's not as much as I love the instrumentation like especially the bass stuff mm-hmm. um and then it's just it's just not it's not the same thing as prog metal prog metal I is stuff the- like Mastodon Mastodon is progressive metal that is metal bands doing the time changes and things like that i think the drums are the most convincing element that is metal i think if people want to point to one element of this album and all their discography that is metal it's the drums it's that really really heavy use really loud use of toms that like absolute thrashing on the toms um that very little use of hi-hat as heavy as he could get those drums mixed in with that experimental sort of electronic yeah. percussion. Um, 
this but just I'll go ahead and put it out there right now. Percussive masterpiece, I would say. Well, they this do this whole album. They well, the one thing that I think stops this from being what I would call you know we always there's very few I think. In Rainbows is the first album that we've done on the show where we both agreed. I mean, it's pretty perfect. Like, it's yeah. there's really, really not a there's flaw nothing. in it. Um, yeah. I think with this one, with time, I think the filler kind of drags it down a little bit. Because um, it is neat. Yeah. But it's also like they would take their more experimental stuff and later, like in 10,000 Days and Latitarius, do things that were where the song is experimental. It's not doing something weird before you do one of your normal songs. Um, yeah. And I think like, it's one thing that's really cool about this is you act with the way you start this album with stink fist and you end with, um, third eye, you see that whole progression of we're leaving nineties tool into what tool is going to become with that, like hyper, hyper, like proggy <laughs> kind of stoner, <laughs> Tommy, <laughs> well, Tommy, you, you should have like, I, I, yes, mom. Everyone can see what you type. Can can everybody? I don't know. <laughs> We're new at this. I believe everybody can see what you type. Don't worry. There's only six yes. people on on this one. I don't know how many you got on your end. Six people. Yeah, everybody can see what you type, but it's just family. Um, gotcha. <laughs> uh, no, I agree that um, the filler in this gets a little redundant. There. Are, this is the, one of the few times I'll say this. There are too many interludes. There are too yeah. many skits, uh, especially some that make no sense. You know, there are some like um, message to Harry Man, Manbeck, is it? Uh, I don't yeah. Know. That one is the perfect interlude to Hooker with a Penis. It It's that perfect, like, really aggressive, like, threatening violence on the band. Like, it actually doesn't have anything to do with the themes of the next song, but it's very apropos thematically. And then there are the ones that make no sense at all, like the one that's just called inter or intermission. Like it's cool, it's funny, but it, that it, could, I think that's a Houston thing though, because I like I like I even put like in my blog post that we'll be posting that I, I defy anyone from Houston to not smile when they hear intermission because if you listen to <laughs> alt radio in Houston, that's your traffic music. Like that's <laughs> yeah, that's true, that's true. Um. Useful, useful idiot. I think is the most offensive to me because I it, it's such because <laughs> it's, it's meant it's, to trick you. Well, because it's a joke, but it's also like it's such a shitty joke. Like it's, <laughs> we're gonna make them get up and think they gotta flip the record before there's one more song. Like fuck you. Yeah. Like, it's just rude. Uh, but at least that one had a point. There was the yeah. other one on there. Um, I forget what it's called, but it's the one that starts with a baby crying, where the the whole point of it was to troll fans who look for meaning in all their songs. Yeah. It had no meaning whatsoever, and that was the point. Uh, that one is one where I kind of roll my eyes and think like, okay, these guys are almost as narcissistic as the people they hate. Yeah, well, May Maynard is... Maynard's a smart guy. Um, yeah, and with uh, no the doubt. Way, with, with the way he writes... and. Like, he's like, when you see... Like, I, I can only express this by saying what you see when I've seen Tool Live. Um, yeah. Maynard is in up front on a little stage with no spotlight on him. And then the other three guys have lights on them. So you can't see Maynard at all. You just, he like you, so it's, it's cause it's not about him. It's about the music. And that's like the, like the whole message. Right. But then he'll get on the mic and say little shitty things about the town that he's in. So like I saw him <laughs> in Houston and he was like a Houston, 
Um, and it, this is like one of his things. He says that wherever he's at is almost as good as Arizona because he lives in Arizona. And it like universally gets a boo. And he's like, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. And I think that's brilliant because it's he's he is a troll. Right. Yeah. No, th- that's the one sort of redeeming quality is that everything about the concepts there are there element this isn't a concept album each track has its own concept but everything about these specific tracks which have concepts that people might find offensive or grating is done with somewhat of a tongue-in-cheek element i would say the title track has no tongue-in-cheek element which is what makes it my least favorite track is just a downright misanthropy but it i like it <laughs> yeah no surprise send it, there, send folks. Send it crashing into the sea. <laughs> um, no, but for the most part, there's a tongue-in-cheek element to it. Um, so, I don't know if there's much more to say preface-wise. I think it is probably time to move into the rundown. There's the rundown you asked for. I may have expanded some areas that you weren't prepared for, Correct. but you want to look at it first. Do I need to? No. All right. So, this Stank album fist. kicks off with a track called stink fist um i have a question before we really start dissecting okay i i get it i understand the idea that there is a little bit of it being about fisting but a little bit a little a little bit on on first on first like read the lyrics right okay does it come across as something that's about like fisting each progressive chorus goes from fingers deep to knuckles deep to elbow deep how is it not about fisting to me (laughs) (laughs) um well okay okay maybe maybe it is like directly about fisting however that sells it short to say that um because i get the bigger picture the bigger picture is about desensitization and the need for constant pleasure yeah, I mean, okay, but I get, I just, I, I hate, I really dislike when, um, people just say oh, it's a song about fisting because to me it's not like it's not like it's it's not crude. Um, the crudest thing about it is the title, which is why they had to like when they first released this, they wouldn't call it Stink Fist on the radio or like on I think on MTV. Right. No, they there was a like a apparently a famous thing where. MTV VJs would they would call it track number one and then they would stick their fist up in the air to the camera to signify what they meant. Um, I Hell read of that a on, first. I also think too that it's interesting that this was the first single. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, quite a statement. I, I feel like everything they did with this was a statement. Yeah, well, I, I think I really think this whole album and what makes it such an interesting album is it was Tool refusing to be pigeonholed. Like yeah. just as a as a musical act, they did not want to be like they didn't want their the success of their first album, particularly the fact that Sober was a song you could play on the radio, to mm-hmm. make them a radio band. They didn't want their fans to think that that was because of them. <laughs> they didn't want, you know, and they didn't want to do the same thing that they had done with Undertow. Um, so it really is like in a lot of ways the whole album, and it starts with Stink Fist, is a giant middle finger to like everybody. Yeah. I agree with that, and there are places where it works, and there are places where, uh, what are we, 14 years later, yeah, that sounds about right, no, 24 years later, sorry, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I was going to say, it turned 20. 
<laughs> 24 years later, a lot of these social criticism and critiques ring very hollow and very outdated, mm-hmm. um, especially from somebody in this position. Like, what I mean by that, and I think I might be getting ahead of myself here, is, is like the commentary on Hollywood in L.A. coming yeah. from somebody who was you know, at the top of the music industry at the time, who was, according to them, self-admittedly leeching from the system just like everybody else selling their soul to make a record. Mm. Uh, it just seems, I don't know. I don't want to be hypercritical of it, especially because like there are a lot of parallels in Maynard's cultural commentary and critique, critiques Sorry, to, for example, Cobain's social commentary and critiques at the time. You know, Cobain at the time was viewed as this like truth telling messiah, a guy willing to give the finger to the industry uh, while at the same time, never refusing an opportunity to be on MTV, never refusing an interview, never refusing a gig, like being an absolute media whore just so that he could talk shit about the media. And yet I absolutely borderline worship Cobain, but there's, so there's an inherent bias there. There's a, you know, you're always going to have bias towards the, the artist that you grew up, you know, idolizing. Well, so I try not to be hypercritical of Maynard because they're of the same era and they're of the same ilk. Yeah. Well, I also think too, the difference between Maynard and Cobain is that, you know, Kurt, Kurt hated the industry, but he didn't hate being famous. I think that's like a misnomer. Right. Like people like to yeah. say like, you know, Kurt didn't like being famous. No, Kurt loved being famous and was like, Kurt really liked being famous. Yeah. Well, well, but also well known for doing like being very active with fans. He like liked being yeah. a rock star. He didn't like the industry and the work and all that other stuff that came with it. Uh, Maynard doesn't like being a rock star. <laughs> like it's just, and I think that's yeah, part of yeah. the, the difference. Um, Tool and, and, and I was telling, I gave a Angel and Kaylee a crash course in Tool fandom when I was playing just music videos, and then I also played some of Maynard's other bands, you know, Perfect Circle and Pussifer. And I said, and it's mm-hmm. hilarious to me because these are three people, three groups, like you know, take three separate people that fucking worship Maynard. Maynard can do like and so it's yeah. like you have like these so you have like these subsections you like you have tool fans and then you have Maynard fans and then you have a perfect circle fans and then you have Pussifer fans and they all hate each other for different reasons like it's the Pussifer fans don't like a perfect circle fans or tool fans right. because they're too pretentious uh perfect circle fans don't like Pussifer fans because they're pussies it just like it's this whole like everything yeah. just kind of wraps back around <laughs> into being where but it's like it's all Maynard's songwriting um right he is somebody too that I think gets a little bit of like a Jim Morrison effect. I was talking like to keep talking about the effect fans have. People just mm-hmm. refuse to hop off that Jim Morrison dick, and it's like he's been dead for how long? <laughs> and yeah, it's cool, but like I'm the guy like drugs. Woo! Like we had a lot of people who like drugs yeah, and weren't yeah. a giant fucking prick about it. Um, May, like yeah. Maynard's such a genius. He writes brilliant songs. Yeah, there's a lot of people. Like, Neil Young's a fucking genius who writes brilliant songs, and he's not a goddamn prick about it. Like, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot we could see. We could make this whole episode We're just about bashing tool fans. <laughs> tool fans are click this but link. I think also, pissed off. Like, it's important at the end of the day to 
we we've discussed this before. We come at this show with the intention to like music because that's what we do. We yeah. like music. In every album we pick, almost every album we pick, there are some perfect albums. There are things to dislike. There are skippable tracks, and there are difficult personalities. Um, I think you know, for example, the next song, "Eulogy," is one that a lot of people could view in the same light as Stinkfist or Enema, but given its particular uh, topics and giving the particular individual that it's about. I love this song because I hate L Ron Hubbard so much and Scientology yeah. so much. So to me, it's like this particular kind of hatred speaks to me. Yeah. Uh, eulogy is probably my, f- oh God, it's so tough to pick a favorite on this one. Um, that, and that's another thing yeah. I like about this. That one reason I picked this album too, is because I, like I said, like if I'd picked undertow, if I picked 10,000 days, we both would have liked it. We would have had a very similar experience, but I was trying to like, what could get more conversation going? Uh, eulogy mm-hmm. is great because it's about L Ron Hubbard and it's about him being like, I, I love the, the, the lyricism of it. You know, he mm-hmm. had a lot to say. He had a lot of nothing to say, nothing um, to say. He, yeah. you know, and it's, uh, he, he talked loud. Um, I think it's, I very ironic though that in an, an album dedicated to Bill Hicks with Bill Hicks's personality, his style of speech and his overall philosophy that this song is on there too. And it's yeah. like, cause this song is very interchangeable for about anybody. It doesn't have, yeah, like that's, a, go ahead. that's one of those tool fan things where it's like, who's it really about? I think it's undeniably about Hubbard. If you look at the yeah. lyrics, but like any good Maynard song, it's left so open-ended where, this could be about Jesus himself. This could be about Bill Hicks. This could be about any number of religious leaders of any era that yeah. he disagrees with. That's especially true because of one of the lines said near the end where it's like, um, get out of the way. We have to make space for the next. To nail uh, the next full martyr. <laughs> full martyr. Yeah. So it's like, it's really about anyone in that position. But the lyrics make it pretty obvious that it's about Hubbard himself uh, more specifically. The reason I I also think so, there are so many tracks on here, with that have aged differently. You know, we were talking about this last week when we talked about Section Eighty and how some of Kendrick's um, social commentary was ahead of its time, mm-hmm. and some of it is long past its time. And yeah. this is very much like that, like the the. LA commentary and the general commentary about society and all that is maybe a little aged, but I think the Scientology society was ahead of its time. You got to remember this was recorded in 95 released in 96. This is way before I would say decades before the general public started becoming aware of the toxicity of the church of Scientology. And this was kind of at the peak. This was at the peak, I think of its celebrity endorsements. Oh yeah. No, this was like, this was, Yeah. This would have been right around the time where it's like John, because John Travolta wasn't a joke yet, and he was a Scientologist. Right. Yeah, uh, Tom Cruise. Um, but the the thing you, you keep you keep saying that the L.A. and the societal commentary has aged poorly, but has it? Has it really? Like as far as the whole idea, like like and I'm I, I say this as somebody who has been stuck waiting to catch a train in Los Angeles. And Los Angeles is the asshole of the world. It is like the worst place is one of the worst places on the planet in the civilized world. Like, I'm sure it's like you could be like, well, you would you rather be in like Istanbul in prison? No, I'd rather be in Los Angeles. You know, actually, now that I really think about it. <laughs> Here's so I wrote more well thought out notes about this because I didn't want to free ball it. And uh, 
since this is one of our our what do we call it? We call our 1.0s and we're sort of yeah. revisiting an album we've discussed before. I'm just going to make an executive decision and say we can go out of order here. But yeah. My notes on the title track are basically at the time this came out, I think that this was like a big oh my god, they went there moment. They actually said that yeah. about the culture, about LA and and they're from now, there too, which is important to note. Yeah, that's important to know. Um Today, you know, 24 years down the road, I think among people like this, these sort of socially critical intellectual types, um, the the people who maybe 20 years ago were really into Bill Hicks and have sort of evolved and grown their their tastes and their interests to this point, I think those those opinions are sort of viewed as dated, if only for the fact that, yes, Hollywood specifically – is a culture of toxicity and narcissism and corruption. But like generalizing the state of California and the city of LA, which has pockets of vibrant culture, which is a mostly a city of color, which is a city that it, like most of its residents are being oppressed by the cultures that you are describing. So this whole like flush it down the drain, have it go away and not exist anymore is like, a very obtuse way of looking at things. Whereas you should, I totally granted the, the commentary about Hollywood is spot on. It's a vapid bullshit culture full of fake people, but a commentary like to make the commentary about a city in a metropolitan area with millions of people as a whole seems to me like a very, it's like a hammer when you should be using a chisel. Okay. Um, if there was a lady in Oklahoma City that made the best tamales ever, and it was like this cultural like touchstone, it was like that you gotta go to this lady's tamale stand in Oklahoma City. That would not stop me in a heartbeat from cutting Oklahoma out and shooting it into the sun, <laughs> like at all. Like for me, and that's just for me. Um, and <laughs> I'm just saying, is, like, is I there don't... not a is there not a part of you coming from a city that is perennial? parentally hated and just criminally underrated and hated for all the wrong reasons because it is associated with a red state because it's ah, it's a working man's town. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> when you grow up in Houston, I think you learn to appreciate hated cities. I I've never even been to Cleveland and I appreciate Cleveland just because any city that is universally hated I and and like LA has some of the best Mexican food in the world. It has some of the best like hip hop culture and just like any any person who takes that attitude about any place because of a specific subsection within that place to me is being lazy in their commentary. Ah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Um, we're, what we're going to do is we're going to, I'm going to pay for Carlos to spend three weeks in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And I want him to tell <laughs> me why that place should exist. <laughs> and if you can you can like, you can't um but the whole thing too with like the whole arizona bay like you know crack off southern california and kick it into the ocean right let it drown when the when the mega yeah, earthquake yeah. comes but that's also from a bill hicks joke it's right a joke. and i i realize um, that it's a joke uh, but it, like i've i've always liked enema the song from a musical standpoint more than a you know it the thing is like what you're saying is absolutely true that there is like these subsections of Los Angeles that are not what we think of when we think of the LA scene and Hollywood in general and all of that. However, the song is directed at those people flush it all down. 
learn to swim, learn to swim, learn to swim, because it's not going to last forever is I think the whole idea. Um, and, mm-hmm. uh, for somebody who lives in Arizona, I'm sure they would love some beachfront property like Maynard would. So it, to me, I, I, I think that's, that, to me, that's almost like looking at a metal base, like that, that's interpreting ghost lyrics, literally kind sure, of, you no, know what I mean? I, um, I, I get, I get what you're saying. Like the commentary is, needs to be more nuanced than just I also left, kick that shit I also into left the ocean. a piece. I also left a piece of my notes out because I think we got caught up on the specific LA commentary. But the other element of this is guys like Maynard and Hicks. And I love Hicks, not as much as you, but I really enjoy Hicks old material. And and I think there is a lot of wisdom in there that has actually aged like fine wine because it's so appropriate to the culture that we have today. But guys like Maynard and Hicks were as guilty, if not more guilty than the sort of L.A. vapid elites that they hated of looking down on, like, hillbillies and, like, oh, these yeah. un- uneducated flyover state people. They they were they had as much resentment towards them as anybody from L.A. or New York. So there's a certain mutual narcissism there. Well, it's that, it, what, what, do you, what do we call that, cultural elitism? Um, it's like, like, yeah. you know, like Hicks used to talk about how much he hated LA and how much he loved New York city. And then, you know, flash forward, I think it was like, it must've been like 20 years later, you have Patton doing the, that they trick you into going to New York and that New York sucks just as much as everywhere else. Like, you know, the, where he's getting his dogs taking yeah. a shit in the subway I, tunnels and he's, <laughs> I thought about, I thought about not Hicks, um, Patton when I was writing my notes and I didn't put it in my notes, but you just reminded me of it. I, I didn't put it in because I thought this reference was maybe not so direct and not so linear. But you know that patent bit in one of his most recent specials where he's talking about how a uh, a person can be a bigot and sound incredibly smart. Oh, yeah, yeah. And a person can be sound like a dumb hillbilly and be actually the more open-minded woke person. It's like, if, they got, if they're both men and they like to, they love as each other, as, as their that's fucking their business. business. What's that, what's that, that guy doing? And the other person's like... I just believe in a more heteronormative state of being where we should follow our natural imperatives. And it's like, that guy's the bigot. The other guy is the open-minded one. But yeah. pres- So I, I thought about that as I was thinking of what to say well, about Maynard and Hicks. And I think, I think cultural elitism is something that is very, uh, it's a, what do you call it? A white centric issue. Cause it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it kind of fucking has to be like, cause it's, <laughs> It's easy to sit yeah. there and be like, I don't like low class things when it's when you're when you don't like have to deal with them, you know, like when it's not your only option for your culture. Um, right. Right. Uh, I don't know. Uh, the thing that like for with, with Hicks and like Maynard, I think one thing, too, is it's also important to realize that Maynard was young when he was writing this stuff, because yeah. you see a lot of the whole in general, a lot of tools like. Uh, like even shit like stink fist that stuff doesn't like hang around like as far as like major tropes in the catalog as we go forward right. he gets way more into the whole um like he did a perfect circle album called eat the elephant that was basically just like born out of how much he hated uh the maga movement um oh, really? and it's yeah it's 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 very it's very good um it drove those fans insane though because it's quieter and very <laughs> subdued um yeah, like, but like, I think like for me, the things that bother me about Hicks, looking back on it, like, and I, I, I'm with you. I think there are certain things that Hicks did that, like, I think are like prophecy, basically. Um, yeah, yeah. I I love everything he ever did on drugs. Absolutely. 
Um, I think his stuff on women in particular has aged very poorly. Um, his def- he definitely had a, a, a homophobic streak too. And that comes through. Um, I think uh, anybody, th- this goes for another person that I put in that category like Hicks is like a Carlin. You look yeah. back at Carlin's racial stuff, it was incredibly tone deaf. It was yeah. borderline bigoted. But there are other things of his that remain, you know, cultural and intellectual gems to this day. So with Maynard, with Hicks, with uh, Carlin, with these guys that were sort of intellectual thought leaders of a different era, uh, I still like I there are things that I there are a lot of things I mine from this album that I I find a lot of appreciation in, you know, transitioning now to another track. 46 and two is my favorite track on this album. Um, it's probably it, the best song. It sounds like, incredible as a sing, as a, just a single sonic experience. It's probably the best song. It sounds great. And I got the most enjoyment out of reading the discussion with this one because it's pretty low stakes. You know, he's not yeah. making great social commentary. There's, there's no, discussion of like oh did this age well or not you you you're either on the posi- on the side of this is a total third eye woke shit about like the evolution of human consciousness or this is more a song about the human experience and the sort of experience of relationships and sex um i i just for fun i tend to lean more towards like the super woke third eye shit like yeah. th- did you get into any of the genius stuff with this one um, no, but I've had these discussions with real breathing people. <laughs> yeah. So you, you may know this then there, there's like a one theory that suggests that this is about like straight up sacred geometry and like the evolutionary theories of, uh, Carl Jung and yeah. like real, like psychedelic shit. And then there are other people who are like, no, just read the lyrics and take them more literally. It's about the human experience. Yeah, I, I, I would say personally, I lean more towards human experience. Um, I think that this and H are very much companion tracks on this album thematically. Um, H, H might be my favorite. H is the one that I love, and and it's not even like for content, because I think it was written, H is written about him being a new parent, right? Yeah, it's um, about and, his son. Yeah, it, it, so for, like, it, like, I don't even really gain much from content, but I love the Sonics of H where it's that slow kind of, you know, just plodding along. And then it gets to the, when you get to like the drop for lack of a better term that, you know, I don't mind. Yeah. It's like, fuck. Yeah. Take me on that ride. That kind of deal. (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah. But like, I think 46 and two and H have that where they, they kind of, they touch being the full on stoner tracks without Mm -hmm. completely going there. Um, they don't yeah. ever like, like, like they don't wander into being where it's like, oh, this is like, you know, like, and you can tell like when the drum with tool, it tends to be when the drums are more subdued is when they're in Stonerville. That's when it's like almost where it's almost like bongos and Sabbath used to do. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Like when Sabbath yeah. would do planet caravan, it's very, it's, you know, like, boom, 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 <laughs> yeah. and it's, it's like, oh yeah, we're getting fucking high. We're um, getting high as hell. But like I also think that this is something where I will kind of pat got you got to give tool fans their credit. It is so rare to find a band with a fan base this rabid that 
you can't like you can't go anywhere where they're talk like where there is comment sections on any of these albums or it isn't people discussing what's it about what do they really mean um i typically just me lean more towards it being more grounded in what the lyrics actually are i try not to get yeah. lost in the weeds because i also think maynard does that on purpose to to get you to like i don't think he's like thinking about yeah, sacred geometry definitely. but i think he's doing <laughs> things where he's like these fucking assholes are gonna think this um and <laughs> like there's 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 times where you just talk to somebody and they think that like you know like what's what's that idea where it's you're searching for depth where they're but you're, you're going deeper than you need to, you know, like it's like, it, I'm not yeah. saying there's not depth, but you're trying to like find more than there is there. Um, and, well, and but, if, if anybody is guilty of it, it's music fans. Yeah. I, that's the difference between me and you. Well, uh, like yeah. How, like how, how we listen. I, the, like you, li- you are very much a, I, I pull up the lyrics. I read along while I listen and I dissect that. That's been hard for me. So that that's really a product of hip hop because hip hop yeah. is a genre that gives it to you so uh, straightforward. You know, mm. conscious rap. There's nobody doing fake conscious rap where it's like, "Am I being deep or am I not being?" Deep? I mean, I'm sure there are. I'm just not familiar with them. Um, so it's either you're either gonna have trap and club jams and like um, ambient sort of stoner rap or you're going to have stuff that's conscious and lyrical and intellectual and okay like you know you differentiate between the two tool is a perfect example this is a band that i had listened to just sort of casually in the background on 94.5 in friends cars that kind of thing like you grow up listening to tool if you have any influence of rock in your life whatsoever you know like his vocals are so unique you know tool vocals when they come on because maynard's voice and what he does with it and yet never in a million years would have known the depth of lyrics and concepts and consciousness that goes in even the experimental stuff like the whatever the one that's in german and it sounds like a nazi nazi chant but it's actually like a cookie recipe like yeah you would never know the depth of this shit unless you became a rabid tool fan and got into the lyrics and i can imagine especially like in a time before the internet was used for this kind of thing in a time before genius just reading through like the um i don't know liner notes yeah but i don't know if their liner notes came with lyrics or if you had to look them up some other i honestly don't remember undertow is the only tool record i've ever had on vinyl um Mostly because I refuse to. Have, here, here, okay, here's here's the reason I can't do Ten Thousand Days on vinyl. Ten Thousand Days and Latitarius have these things where it's like, you know, I was, you know, I was, I was making fun of it earlier, talking about the whole idea, like you got to play it here, like play hit play here, and then on a different <laughs> thing over here you hit play. Um, and I'm like, well, that's ridiculous. But I would do it if I had the ability to do it. Like it, what, <laughs> the ones that only take two tracks. That was how I found out about YouTube Doubler. Where people are like, you play this song at two different parts at the same time and it lines up and you're just like, whoa. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, it's, it is designed <laughs> that way. But tr- like traditionally where it's like they have one, they have one, I, I think it's called Parabola from two albums later than this one. And you have to like to, to fully experience it. Um, you have to listen to it on four different machines 
played at four different parts and it like weaves together and they designed it that way. Like it's musically designed to do that. So when you hear it, it's like, holy shit, but who can do that? Um, so, but it's also, so like, okay, like I was talking earlier about things that I think are skippable for me and die ear yeah. von Satan, which I think is Satan's eggs or whatever it is. It, it, the cookie or Satan's the, balls. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which even then, like the the problem with something not, not the problem. The one of the cool things about Tool is the fact that everything is layered like that. Like everything mm-hmm. has multiple interpretations because they don't want to be. And this this whole album was about not being pigeonholed. That's how I read this whole thing. Like right. we are not what you think we are. Leave us the fuck alone. Let us make our music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's very admirable. But like stuff like this, where it's the heavy industrial sound, the German lyrics come over that are being mm-hmm. read rather angrily, and then you hear like the roar of a crowd, and it's like it's 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 supposed to sound like a Nazi rally. It's a fucking cookie recipe. And maybe I've gotten older, <laughs> where <laughs> like hearing that, like I hear the opening part, and I might smile and be like, <laughs> that's funny. But then I yeah. skip it because it's not. It's not sonically pleasing, but it leads right. into, um, cause we talked, we kind of talked about hooker with a penis on, cause I, I think that's the one we just skipped. We skipped Jimmy and hooker with a penis, but since we're kind of scatter shooting, um, after the, the German cookie recipe, you get push it, which yeah. is another, I think tool like radio, uh, staple. What did you think about that one? Like how uh, would you, how, how much would you compare that to something like, like, cause it's on the same album as something like Stink Fist. This one's interesting because it's actually one of the ones that I remember most from the 1.0s. Mm-hmm. I really like this song conceptually and lyrically. It's it's too long for me. Like, I'm yeah. not gonna sit through all nine minutes of this every time. I did for the first one or two times, and then I was I definitely got to the point uh, as we approached record. I went back to listen to what I like, and then I went back to research the rest of it. So I read a lot about this one. I find the concept really interesting. It's a it's a um, companion song to Schism mm. from another album of theirs. Both being songs about these sort of toxic, um, abusive relationships. And uh, I really like so the the idea presented in this one, which is that a person has sort of woken up to the toxicity of their relationship before the other person has. And, and, you know, that, that feeling of like, okay, I need out and you're holding me back. So I think the emotion of it, the concept of it is delivered really well, but I just, I don't have the patience for it, especially because it's not nine minutes of like building, engaging, climactic music. It's very high highs and very low lows and a lot of experimental sound design that I get a little bored with. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. Um, I I think it is a little bit long. I think it's why like you like you know they mentioned it being a like a companion track with a Schism on the next album, Latitarius, or and I always pronounce that wrong, so it just <laughs> deal with it if you don't like the way I say any of their album names. Um, but Schism's one of my favorite Tool songs, and I think it does the same thing that Push It does, but a little bit more streamlined and, um, it. Schism also has a diff. It's the time signatures are the thing about Tool that, like, if you want to get really musical nerdy at all, they use these 
almost unique. I, 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 I don't like throwing that word around, but these very unique time signatures in their songs. Mm-hmm. And it's also how they can have these albums that sound uneven, really, right. but are but do, do kind of like still flow together. Um, I think we should talk about... Um, well, we haven't really talked about Hooker with a Penis, except in the, in the preface we... Well, I know that because you you talked, we already talked about an an enema um, and then we talked about Cesaro some ability on the preface. That's the one with the baby crying. I took a shit on ions. Um, So let's do hooker with a penis and then Jimmy and then we can do third eye and wrap it up. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. So hooker with a penis, which is in, in addition to being the worst song to try to. Okay. In high school, somebody who I, I'm not going to name, but tried to get me into Tool by mm-hmm. telling me that I had to listen to this song. Okay. And we're like, you got to listen to Hooker with a Penis. You got to listen to Hooker with a Penis. Hooker with a Penis. And it's like, you can only say Hooker with a Penis to me so many times before I'm just going to mentally shut down. <laughs> and I, th- that was a big reason I did not like like Tool. I was like, that's just fucking weird, man. I'm not, I'm not into that. Um, yeah. Then when I kind of like came back to Tool, it's uh, I love this song. I don't like the way it sounds. Let me start with that. It's not my right. favorite track sonically. However, it is hysterical. I love a song from a band, once again, on their sophomore album, telling these pretentious fans of theirs to fuck off. And that's just, just chef's kiss emoji. Yes. So this was a this was my favorite song until I got a little more involved with the research on forty six and two, um, and I and also I think my most recent full cover to cover listen I appreciated Third Eye a little more. The sampling and the production of that one is just really interesting. Um, but for for definitely my first few go rounds with this album. This one stuck out to me the most. I I loved the concept, like you said, it's hilarious, um, and, and it's just. But you're right; it, it's not sonically great. It doesn't carry a melody. Not that really any of their songs carry melodies, but this one is the farthest from it. His vocals are really grating. I mean, his vocals are not great, but you can appreciate what he does with them on other tracks. Um, on here, I don't think there's much to appreciate, but I think that's kind of the point. You yeah, know, this is, I think that's, I think that's by design. <laughs> it's, it's, if you make a song shitting on your fans, you're not going to spend time and effort to make it the prettiest song on the album. <laughs> like, so, but I just love the concept. The lyrics of it are so hilarious. You, you know, it opens with, I met a boy wearing Vans 501s. A dope uh, beastie tee. Dope BCT and uh, nipple rings. He basically describes like the ultimate scene dude from the era and then goes on to say how this dude told him in between sips of Coke that he was a sellout and then goes on to tell him how fucking wrong he is, which was just it was it's great. It's a great way. I'm of the opinion that most of the time celebrities who engage with fans like this, especially in the age of social media are hurting themselves more than they think they're helping themselves. You know, if you, Lupe Fiasco does this a lot and it has really hurt his reputation in the last year or two. He is such, he is absolutely addicted to Instagram and cannot for the life of him help himself 
from engaging with these toxic fans on Instagram and it doesn't help him. It makes him look childish. It makes him look like a person with thin skin who's easily rattled. But this to me is like the way to do it. You know, if you're going to do it, if you're going to respond to toxic fans, do it this way because it's so good. Yeah. I think that, like, yeah, I, I would agree. It, to me, the thing about this that I, I just, I, I'm, I actually, I don't know if I really have a thought there. Um, <laughs> The thing about that, the idea of like this whole like social media has changed things, but so has the like our the troll and hate culture that we have, particularly online. Um, Yeah, like there are like there are wrestlers that have practically ruined their careers by being pricks to people, being pricks to other pricks on Twitter. Because we like you see that and you're like, God, why you gotta be a dick? Like, I mean, like like why are you? There's why are you giving a guy with five followers the time (laughs) of day? And why are you doing it in such a prickish way? There is no dignified way to roll clap around in the back. Muck. Yeah. Yeah, to clap back at the trolls on social media. But then then again, you know, from a guy like Maynard who is not interested in being dignified, who is not interested in what anybody thinks of him, he exempts himself from that sort of, you know, I guess critique or criticism. It's like this guy doesn't give a shit. That's the whole point of this song. Is he doesn't give a shit what you think. Yeah, that's why I haven't had a good Twitter fight in a long time, but I used to love them because I never cared. <laughs> it's like, right. Like, the key is if you don't care, no, like, who are you fighting with? They're punching the air and you're going, oh, that's funny. Um, <laughs> so let's move on to Jimmy. Um, that's a sad song. That is a sad song. Okay. I'm going to say this up front. If you think J- the song Jimmy by Tool from 1996 has <laughs> anything to do with Stranger Things, what what get help? Like, are there people that think that? Yeah. Oh wow. They think How? there's there's a there's a big theory that that's why she's named Eleven is because of this song. Hmm. And if I'm wrong about that, I will I will eat my words. I just think that is such a tool to me. That's a tool fan like grasping <laughs> like relevancy. Because he was eleven when his mom got paralyzed. That makes no sense. Like. Because I guess yeah, because I guess because the lyric is eleven over. And I I don't know, um. But yeah, let's get back to the song. This song is the most emotional from the album. One of the most emotional Tool songs. Period. I'm, I'm actually I, I'll, I'll say it. I think it is the most emotional, you know, emotionally raw Tool song. And it's about Maynard's mom getting paralyzed when he was eleven and the like effect that had on him. And that's saying a lot because the song H on this album is a song about Maynard looking at his newborn son and reconsidering his own self-loathing. So the fact that this is a song that really truly comes off as the most emotionally raw, and it really does. I mean, the because this is really a song about what made him the way he is. Yeah. Well, it, a, it, H at its core is like, what, what's it supposed to be, like half empty? Is that what like yeah. the, the big... Well, like, it's, it's H is the um, middle initial of his son. It's H, Maynard. I forget his first name, but his middle initials H. Devo. And yeah, Devo H Maynard. And then it's also the initial title was half empty. And the lyrics are kind of about like this guy who's previously hated the world and hated himself and hated everything, but cannot help but fall in love with his son and sort of melt at the sight of him. Yeah. Which is a very alien feeling to somebody who hates himself as much as Maynard did. But that's sort of there's a bright light at the end of that tunnel because it's like, hey, this guy's softening up because yeah. of his little baby boy. There's no bright light at the end of Jimmy. No, yeah. 
Jimmy's life is not going to be great because of what happened to his mother. Um, and it's just, it's very raw for him. And it doesn't like it's, it's all, it's such an outlier with some of the other tool songs. Like I know that this one gets connected to prison sex, right? Because that's another one of Maynard's work. By the way, that's my favorite tool song is prison sex from undertow. Um, really? Yeah. Hands down. I've, I love that song. That song is so great about like just the idea of cyclical abuse. Like it's that it's just like I do like because the, the main lyric in that is do unto others what has been done to me. And it's the he changes position of who's doing the abusing in the song from first hmm. verse to second verse. It's a fucking brilliant song. Um, Eleven, though, is just <laughs> it's 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 not even really gut wrenching in a way where. Like, you know, like, like kind of like we talked about with the, 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 some of the Kendrick songs last week, they're not, this isn't, it, it, there's like a numbing effect to it. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, definitely. It's just, he's uh, exploring something so profoundly painful and personal to him. It, it's kind of like Keisha's song where it, it's hard to relate to because yeah. it's so, such a specific tragedy. Yeah, I'm, I, 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 as far as relating to it, my childhood wasn't bad enough for me to really relate to it. <laughs> like it's, right, right. Um, my uh, when I was eleven, I don't think things were that bad, you know. Like, um, but it's just yeah. it, to me, it's one of those things. Like I even wrote about it in the the blog post that um, I'll be sending you. That it's I, I compared it to like where there's all these just weird moments in Enema, where it's like mm-hmm. you have these moments where it's uh, you know emotionally raw, and then you have moments that are like just straight trolling and then you have mm-hmm. moments that are trying to you know take your brain to mars and back um and then you have just jokes it's such a weird album on the call I, I love i love enema it's one of my favorite albums um and with that i think we can segue into we already talked about ions now ions is basically static noise yeah is what i was kind of complaining about like i just i for, sometimes i forget that i'm skipping it and if i have it turned up it does hurt my head <laughs> but it leads into the really for me like the money track on enema as far as like what tool is as a band and that's third eye squeegee your third eye <laughs> the, the, this is a fun song just all around sonically it's really fun and entertaining the opening monologue from Hicks, the interspersed sort of sampling of Hicks. You know, they said this album is dedicated to Hicks and this is the song that brings it all together. Um, And also it's just like, to me, I've kind of come around on the whole third eye wokeness thing because I, when it started to reemerge in the culture, and this is a perfect example of the fact that this is not a new thing. People were talking about this in the 60s, and then again in the 80s, and then again in the 90s. I mean, this has never gone away. Um, so when it sort of reemerged again with our generation, and I think it really started with um, the, what do you call it? The, like the signs, the zodiac sign thing astrology with the astrology thing it really emerged in our generation again with the astrology thing and it it started as this thing that people would do kind of tongue-in-cheek like haha what what are you oh i'm a sagittarius you're a gemini haha and then it became this thing that like millions and millions of people in the country legitimately believe is having an effect on their day-to-day life like their the position of the stars and their sign and so 
all of this shit to me of I really came around from rolling my eyes at it so hard that they fell out of the sockets to just kind of enjoying it as like this fun thing that's like, oh yeah, like open your third eye. So I kind of enjoy the silliness of it a little more now. It's a, it's a very roundabout way to say I can have fun with it now. Yeah. I mean, I think anybody who takes anything too seriously, it's, it's, it's also like, to me, I love what I love about this song is you, you start with Hicks talking about drugs. And that mm-hmm. was also like, whenever Hicks would talk about drugs, he wasn't like, you know, talking about, isn't it great to uh, most of his marijuana stuff is hilarious because it's about just how harmless weed is in general versus mm-hmm. how strictly it's, you know, regulated and treated at what in his lifetime. Um, and then you have his stuff about hallucinogenics, which I think I've said on the show multiple times. If you get the opportunity to do mushrooms, do it. Um, <laughs> it is, it is, it is, you, you, <laughs> I don't want to like end up, you know, kind of wandering off into the weeds on that. But like the song to me is very Terrence McKenna, another big proponent of using mushrooms. Um, and like Alan Watts kind of like that level of thinking. Like yeah. to me, that's what like the third, the whole third eye is. It's that it's, it, being able to observe yourself in a, in a way is how I look at yes. that. Um, it's not even about like seeing like greater meaning in the universe it's because like, all of that is done through the lens of yourself. Right. I, I, you're, you're, you're tapping into something there that I 100% agree with. And also I'll take it a step further. Like I, I do think, you know, as somebody who is, I hate to put this label on it, but I, I've really wrestled with it and I don't have a better way to describe myself other than agnostic. As someone who is, for the most part, theologically agnostic, I am spirit I do believe in spiritualism. And so I think it is like it's always interesting to me to find what I guess I would consider harmless avenues towards spiritualism because like mm-hmm. organized religion to me is harmful. And yeah. You know, then, you know, in the same vein, I reject atheism and non-believers. So I, I look for interesting and not harmless ways to sort of tap into some kind of spiritualism. Uh, so that's sort of like, I've always been really interested in that, in the sort of like actual science and, and intellectualism and philosophy behind like, are there deeper realms of consciousness? Yeah. Well, then getting hell, into it, some Joe Rogan territory. No, here. Well, whenever we launch, <laughs> whenever we launch human books, um, I'll, I'll recommend some Alan Watts like that's because like to me, that's it almost comes off like I think you could like make fun of it and be like, well, he doesn't ever answer the question because a lot right. of Alan Watts speeches starts with a question. Like, right. Well, and it, it can be like something like super broad, like, why are we here? And then he takes you on this like winding journey to at the end where the like realization is that it doesn't matter. Like it's not that it doesn't matter, but it's like how you perceive it. Um, mm, gotcha. So like one of them is like, well, like what do you desire is a personal favorite of mine. And it ends mm-hmm. up where it's like, you don't know because you don't, you can't be the, the idea is like at the end of it, he's like, you can't know you, you don't know because you either have it or you don't know what it is yet. And you have to keep finding it. Oh, um, shit. And that's like such a like way to think about that. And it's like, that's why people are empty because <laughs> like they don't, they've either stopped looking or they don't realize that they already have it. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I could fucking talk Alan Watts all goddamn day, but uh, that's, <laughs> uh, so this is, this is also something I guess we could kind of get ready for coffee, which I'm about to yeah. do for work anyway. Um, Put that coffee down. Coffee's for closers only. Always be closing. Always be closing. So, 
the big thing I want to do with these 1.0s, because um, I already kind of have like, uh, so we listen. This, the, the first time you listened to this album was in yeah. twenty. Oh, what are we talking about? Twenty nineteen. And right. uh, the things I'm curious about since that time, have you listened to it since before we did the episode again, or were like what from that first time listening to it on one point to now? Like where did how did you like tool? How do you view Tool? How did that evolve? So I did not listen to this between our first listen and now. I also remembered parts of this album that to me now I took very little out of. I really remembered like uh, the German one. I'm not even going to try to say it. Mm. Irk von Satan or whatever. Yeah. Um, just because... It, uh, the if you're just exposed to this one time, like the flash in the pan, like listen to this album, read all these annotations, take it all in, and then that's it. You don't get any more time to sort of think about it or absorb it. That's something that's going to stick with you, like the the fake Nazi chant, which is actually a German recipe for edible cookies. Like that really stuck with me, and also, um. Hooker with a penis stuck with me because, especially because you really went into detail of, of explaining the concept of that one. And the third one that really stuck with me was, um, would, would push it just because it was so long and I got to really absorb the sonics of it more. The ones that I liked most this time around were none of those. I loved 46 and 2, and I don't think I got any real appreciation of that song or the concepts or the arguments among the fans about what it means what it doesn't mean yeah i kind of got a chuckle out of the bill hicks stuff the first time around but i didn't actually comprehend that this whole album was dedicated to him and i didn't really understand like how much i would come to love third eye so it really shines a light on the difference between the 1.0 approach and the 2.0 approach having time to absorb an album to research it to see what the fans think i i really enjoyed reading opposing reviews of this album you know this mostly got glowing reviews from everyone from rolling stone to kerrang to like <clears throat> especially the the rock outlets put this in like the top 10 greatest albums of all time but then also reading the negative reviews you know some one of the most prominent negative reviews about this is that the production is claustrophobic and uber compressed and you don't get a chance to appreciate its layers because it's just one wall of staticky sound, mm -hmm. which I agree with. But yeah. I also think like that's their aesthetic and that's okay. Their fans like that. There's nothing wrong with it if you go for that on purpose. Well, that yeah, that that's very much that sound in 96. Yeah. Yeah. So overall, I think it was really good to do this in the 2.0 version because I don't think this would have ever... This is not something I would have ever returned to after the 1.0 listen. The 1.0 listen, it was like, okay, cool. Yeah, that's interesting. I definitely never thought Tool got so deep and intellectual with their lyrics. So that's cool to know about them, at least moving forward. But that's all I could say at that point. Yeah. Like, and like I think for me, too, what was interesting is that I was, I think I viewed, I, I like I said, like when you gave me the idea, this was the first thing that popped in my head. So I knew I had to do this one first. And I think it was out of that, you know, a, par a part of it was out of that, like punishing people. I, I like to punish people with making them listening to things is how I kind of like view it. Um, and I, I, 
like when you gave me the idea initially, I was like, this is going to be really cool. I was like, what can I get Carlos? What can I give Carlos that I don't think he will like? <laughs> um, that's great. Like that, that's, that's kind of what I was thinking of. Because I think in my mind, I was thinking he's going to pick a bunch of rap that I'm not going to like. I think that's like, oh, just like okay. where my brain went immediately. And I was like, well then I need to pick shit that I think that he's not. Um, <laughs> it, this is definitely a band that I, I probably grew up making fun of this band and its fans the most. This is like up there with Breaking Benjamin in terms of bands that it's like, I am not even going to bother trying to appreciate it yeah. because it just comes across. And well, you know that, that, go ahead, go ahead. What's interesting about that is I think Tool is actually like, particularly like this album and really Undertow before it, <coughs> you talk about like, <coughs> oh shit. <laughs> um, you talk about like those watershed moments in music. There has been an entire subgenre of post grunge chasing this sound. Like yeah. Chevelle is Tool light. That's all it is. And they're trying to be Tool. There's so many bands out there that are trying to do what Tool did, but not realizing that Tool was in lots of ways ahead of its time. So they're doing stuff <laughs> that is not relevant anymore, and it. It's so it's like to me, there's a lot of tool imitation things that are bizarre. I once had somebody who didn't know that Maynard was the singer for a perfect circle. This and this is back in high school. So, you know, when you everybody's a fucking idiot in high school. Um, tell me that a perfect circle sounds like a tool ripoff. I'm like, it's the same dude. (laughs) This is, you know, now that you say that, it's a good point because this is an example or or just a symptom of my age because I was six years old when this came out. Yeah. By the time I became conscious of this type of music, I was not listening to Tool initially. I was listening to the copycats. You know, yeah. I would turn on 94.5 The Buzz in Houston and hear nothing but Tool copycats and Nirvana and Pearl Jam copycats. And it's just like everybody chasing the sound of the 90s well into the 2000s to the point where it all became so redundant. So when somebody would tell me like this is tool or this is Chevelle or this is Bush or this is, you know, name the early two thousands band. It's, it all sounded the same to me. So now when even that stuff is outdated, when even the stuff that chased this and copied, this is outdated. I think we're far enough away from it. We're removed enough to where we can go back and, and actually pick out what was good. Yeah. What was good and what was original. Yeah, uh, yeah, I would agree completely. I think we're getting there with like you look at the I, I call I like to call it goon rock. That's a a phrase that Tim Eisenhower coined, calling it goon rock because I th- there is no name for that genre. Like if when you say things like post grunge, mm-hmm. well, doesn't that just mean every type of rock music that happened after grunge? <laughs> Isn't yeah. Mumford and Sons technically post grunge? Post grunge. Um, so I've never liked the idea of po- post grunge, but I like when I when I say goon rock you know that I'm talking about breaking Benjamin C there shined out. Like you, like you, like you know it, you just like, you feel it. Um, and to me, I think there is some stuff there that's totally worth it. Like I think breaking Benjamin's first album is pretty fucking good. The problem is they never grew past that. They then did like six or seven albums that are still right there in that wheelhouse. Disturbed. Disturbed has one really good song. They just did it 900 times. 
Like, it, yeah, yeah. Like, like you pick, like you, you take any disturb like of their hits and put it in a vacuum where the rest of it doesn't exist. You're like, that's pretty cool. But the rest of it does exist and it drags it down. Um, Shinedown, for example, I think is one of the best bands I've ever seen live. Shinedown kicks ass live. It is hard to listen to Shinedown on record because it just sounds like radio rock. Right, absolutely. I think uh, I think we've pretty much said everything there is to say about this. I am I appreciate this album much more the second time around, and I think it definitely softens my whole approach to rock from this era where I've been hypercritical of it for so many years. You say, you know, you, you bring up calling it um, goon rock. There was a time in my life, like through, from high school through college where I refused to call anything that came out between like late nineties and mid two thousands, anything other than butt rock. And I definitely got into a lot of arguments with like, roommates and friends and people in band in high school where I was like, no, that's butt rock. No, butt rock. Ew, butt rock. Butt rock. <laughs> See, and I, I hate the term butt rock. I get yeah. it because that's the whole idea is it's like it, like stations that play nothing but rock, which is why it's called butt rock. Yeah. But I like I just I, I fucking I can't stand that because during that era where everybody starts like lumping in butt rock, uh, mm-hmm. like fucking Mastodon was making concept albums like there's shit that was happening. Right. Yeah. It, I'm definitely coming around to realizing that, but it it took uh, it took a while for me to and and it took distance from it. You know, yeah. there I've I had this conversation recently with Abriel where I've been listening to Lincoln Park again, and that was the first album I picked out and bought at the store for myself. Um, hybrid theory. was Hybrid Theory, and then there was a long period, like a good decade, where it was like you didn't talk about how much you liked Lincoln mm-hmm. Park. <laughs> Yeah. And now there's so much distance where it's like I can appreciate it again and I can talk about that being my first album. And so it's cool getting to that point in life. Yeah, I think I really think for me with Linkin Park, because I know what you're talking about. Like, there was a time where like that became like embarrassing. Right. Um, and I think that had to do with like where music evolved when we were in high school, that later like emo and when that was like the the rock music that was popular. Um, I think when Chester killed himself, a lot of the older Linkin Park all, especially especially the more despondent songs all yeah. of a sudden had like new meaning to me um it was it was like beyond like angsty you know like it was like that like once she, once i can kind of like you know what i still have trouble listening to even with the time and distance and getting away from it i have mm-hmm. a hard time listening to chris cornell's solo stuff because it's so emotional oh yeah uh, that's Definitely just like that's point. just tough for me um, but I think we've bloviated enough about this. I'm, I'm glad we can do this. I'm excited for Good Kid, Mad City. Um, I will be getting lots of listens now that I will be driving to and from work. Starting. Have you started? I, I listened to it once. I did. I made. I've done cool. one listen through, and then was kind of just like this. This this past week has been a real. Yeah. No, I get it. Uh, well, okay. Cool. I'm excited about that one. This one was fun. Also, looking forward to the next 1.0. Um, which one are you going to do? You're going to do, yeah. I think we did prequel next, right? Prequel. I don't remember the order, but that sounds Um, good. And then we're going to have Abby week after that, right? Or I think Abby's the week after good kid. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, we're going to have, uh, our friend, my future sister-in-law, Abby Burrell on the show, uh, really talented musician, uh, keyboard player and vocalist for a band in Houston, called um, Paper Gliders, also a music teacher. She's very talented, knows a lot about music. So that'll be one of those really fun musician guest episodes where Harry and I get to 
uh, talk we're music all, with somebody who knows music. Dork out on that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we'll see what she picks, but that should be really fun. Got a lot of cool things coming up uh, in the rest of January. So stay tuned. Yeah. And uh, as, as per usual, you know, like subscribe, leave a rating on Apple, follow us on Spotify, hit up our website, humanmusicpod.com, where you'll have links to our merch store and all of our socials, which you should give a follow, especially if you're not following us on Instagram. Now is the time because you're going to get to see our pretty faces every week on Instagram live (laughs) now. So that's right. Uh, and, and hey, based off what we saw today, you'll get to talk to my mom if you want to talk to her in the comment sections <laughs> every week live. Yep, that's right. All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. Talk to you next week. See ya.